Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique, specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Chantelle Otten is an internationally acclaimed psychosexologist based in Melbourne. With her background in scientific research, sexual medicine and counselling, Chantelle believes that sexuality and self-esteem are an integral part of life, which everyone is entitled to, and that good sexual health should always be enjoyable, pain-free and without prejudice. When speaking to Chantelle, it quickly became obvious that we would need more than one episode together to cover Raelia and Chantelle's approaches to sex. Through our series, The Sex Tapes, we will be discussing a range of topics including the female orgasm, sexual concerns, sex for conception and sexual self-esteem through the life stages. Welcome back Chantelle, thank you for joining Raelia and I again. Thank you so much, I'm excited to be here. Last time we spoke, we talked about um, sex for conception and the issues around what you go through when you're trying to conceive and how that can disrupt your sex life. And on the flip side, today we wanted to talk about your sexual self-esteem as you go through life changes. So I guess starting with when you're pregnant and how sex changes when you're pregnant. I think, Mm -hmm. Raylia, it might be nice for those of us that don't know, how your body changes during pregnancy and how that might affect sex? Sure. Well, look, there are certainly physical changes, but I think in the first trimester you go from having sex to get pregnant, so, you know, timing around ovulation, to then, you know, sex is then flipped back because you are already pregnant, you've done the deed, baby's on the way, and it's really just for fun at that point in time and for relationship you know, kind of enjoyment and physical pleasure. So that's a difficult mindset in early pregnancy because I think a lot of women are worried that they might somehow hurt the baby or injure the pregnancy by having sex. So I have a lot of women and couples ask me, is it safe to have sex when you're pregnant? And the answer is generally yes. Uh, There are a few different categories where the answer is no. So for example, if you've had bleeding in pregnancy, uh, in early pregnancy, we usually say don't have sex in early pregnancy until we figure out what's happening. If you've had bleeding because you have a low-lying placenta that's been diagnosed, known as a placenta previa, then that's one of the rare reasons where it's advisable not to have sex at all during a pregnancy in terms of penetrative sex. It doesn't mean you can't have outer course, and we can talk to that a little bit, but certainly um, nothing to cause cervical trauma, trauma to the cervix that might cause bleeding. There are some other reasons why you might not have sex during pregnancy that are not as serious. So, for example, if you have any discomfort or if um, you are 
suffering a pre-existing condition like vaginismus or another painful condition or if you have any kind of vaginal irritation. A lot of my patients who have had IVF will have prolonged courses of progesterone pessaries and that can cause vaginal irritation and be a little bit off-putting for penetrative sex from the woman's perspective. But for most couples, it is safe to have sex in pregnancy and it's just about changing it up sometimes with your growing body and the positions that you choose to use for sex. So uh, certainly eventually as the uterus gets enlarged, uh, because it goes from being in the non-pregnant state the size of a small fist to the size of a watermelon, so the uterus does change dynamically and kind of the you know so-called missionary position lying on a woman's back is not okay uh, when you are heavily pregnant because the uterus might compress your aorta and your vena cava and you might not feel very good. You can pass out, but also you can impair blood supply to the baby. That's why we say you shouldn't sleep on your back when you're heavily pregnant. So using aids like a pelvic tilt, which can be achieved with a pillow, it can be a pregnancy pillow, just a normal pillow, just so that you're not directly on your back and, you know, just changes in positions so that you're not being squished by your partner and your belly's not being squished by your partner um, is something that you can figure out in pregnancy, but you can still have enjoyable penetrative sex throughout pregnancy if you want to, if it's comfortable for both you and your partner. Absolutely. And I think um, maybe you would agree with this, Raylia. I think the second trimester is really the sweet spot because you're over the morning sickness time and that kind of getting used to your new body. And um, I think also one thing that I know for a lot of women that come in that are having sex during pregnancy pregnancy is because they are having orgasms for the first time because of the amount of blood flow going down to their genital area and because of the surge in hormones as well. Um, because of the hormonal changes, some women find that their sexual appetites turn ferociously and they just want anything from the sexual buffet. And I think that that is great. You know, there's a lot more engorgement in the vulva, the vagina, the clitoris and the pelvis. Um, and depending on the person, that can either feel pleasurable, for some it can feel irritating and for some it can feel a little bit in between. So it is about finding that sweet spot maybe out of course is going to be the way to go for a lot of women you know that's playing with the clitoris that's playing with the rest of the body that's finding um satisfaction in touch in something that's not goal orientated so you know not aiming to have an orgasm not aiming to have penetration but just aiming to have a really good time some women also feel a little bit extra wetness as well because of the increased secretions and more lubrications that are occurring during this time. Um, I think, Raylia, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that's also part of the body's mechanism in fighting bacteria as well. So self-cleaning. Yeah, um, it is, but it's also the fact that estrogen is elevated for the whole of your pregnancy. So in a menstrual cycle, um, we talked about before in our episode about timing, you know, sex for pregnancy and, and when we're most interested from a biological perspective uh, in sex in terms of libido as a woman is when we're mid-cycle, when we're about to ovulate and release an egg. And that also corresponds to in a cyclic scenario when our estrogen is at its highest, at its peak. In pregnancy, it's like you've got peak estrogen the whole time. So a lot of women mm. do feel 
much more readily sexually interested and aroused in pregnancy and persistently rather than cyclically. How great. And more wet dreams as well. So sleep orgasms because of the higher estrogen and the blood flow, which is, I mean, such a bonus. How exciting. Um, I think some common questions that I also hear about is will penetration hurt during the pregnancy? And simply put, if everything's going well, then it should be a no, unless there are those pre-existing conditions conditions around vaginismus um, or if the uterus might move a little bit and you feel that is that correct yeah look it's certainly the pelvis is changing and all the ligaments um, become more stretchy not only is estrogen high but progesterone is persistently high during pregnancy and that's because we need our bodies to change and grow and stretch and adapt and progesterone is one of these hormones that helps those ligaments to become more stretchy uh, so that as our bodies grow, our, our bodies do adapt. It also does predispose some women to what we call pelvic instability or ligaments being a little bit too stretchy and there can be some uh, descent of the uterus and it can be a bit uncomfortable for some women in certain positions because of that. It's also mm. the reason, just as a total aside, that women can be a little bit more prone to injuring themselves in exercise and sports during pregnancy mm. because of that stretchiness of the ligaments. So it is important not to push yourself harder than your body wants to go in exercise. And I always advise my patients to certainly be able to continue at a level that they're used to uh, as long as they're comfortable, but not to push themselves further because it's not the right time to say, for example, take on any extreme sports when you're pregnant. Mm, absolutely. And I um, I read a study once that 80% of men are worried about hurting the baby during sex, um, which is not going to happen um, unless your doctor has said, you know, no penetrative sex. The baby is super protected and it has its own filter system that's really selective about what is coming towards it. Um, so unless you've been advised to have pelvic rest, then penetrative sex should be absolutely okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the physical part of penetrative sex, you're only really worried uh, in that scenario where you have a low-lying placenta, where you're worried that you might have some kind of um, tissue, I guess, trauma from even a gentle movement in that area. Mm. I guess mm. there's another kind of patient that you were told not to have sex in pregnancy, and that is a patient who's had a previous premature birth or what's mm. called cervical incompetence. That's a terrible word, but it's you know cervical uh, shortening in a pregnancy that's caused a premature birth or a premature labour. And mm. we know that, and this is a kind of it's it's not an old wives' tale. It's actually a true thing that if you do have sex at the end of pregnancy, there are actually chemicals in the sperm and in the semen that actually soften the cervix and encourage the cervix to kind of flatten and efface and start that process of getting ready for labor and one mm. thing that women are told to do if they're overdue and frustrated is go home and have sex because it can help but in terms mm. of very early in a pregnancy for a normal cervix that shouldn't really have any effect whatsoever so you don't have to worry that if you have sex your baby's going to be born premature but if you've had a situation where you do have a shortened cervix and we're monitoring you with ultrasound every couple of weeks to look at your cervix and we're using progesterone as a medication to try and prevent mm. cervical shortening. 
in those women, it probably does make sense not to have sex, at least penetrative sex. Mm. And All if right. any, any of these things are a problem, your obstetrician would be talking to you about them, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Absolutely. So if your doctor has not told you not to have sex, there's no reason for you not to have sex. Mm. Yeah, people have really healthy sex lives up into into labour as well. Um, I think one thing to probably talk about is also if you are single and pregnant and you are having sex with different people, then you still need to use condoms because even though you can't get pregnant while you're pregnant, um, you can you still, get everything um, else. <laughs> you can get an STI, yeah. So sexually yeah. transmitted infections um, can result in potential pelvic inflammatory disease, um, which can lead to early labour or miscarriage or serious health complications. So we just want to make sure that you still have fun, but you're being safe about it as well. Um, I also think we need to talk about if bleeding after sex is something that um, women and their partners should worry about during pregnancy. I always think it should be checked out. So it's not always mm. serious. There's a zone on the outer cervix known as an ectropion, which is just where the glands that lie in the inner cervix kind of turn out onto the outer cervix and the estrogen effects of pregnancy can make that area very sensitive and a little bit of bleeding can be actually just from a little blood vessel on the surface of the cervix if the ectropion is fragile. However, it does have to be checked out and, you know, that's a diagnosis of exclusion and usually what would happen if you went to see a doctor is they do an examination with a speculum like for a pap smear and have a look and just make sure there's nothing else going on and they'd probably check on the baby and make sure the baby was good and fine and the placenta looked fine and they'd also want to check your blood group because some women do have a negative blood group. We have this system of blood groups known as rhesus factor and it's either positive or negative and there's lots of different combinations of letters that go with that A, B and O. So you might be an A positive or an A negative or a B positive or an AB positive or an AB negative or an O negative. There's lots of different combinations and permutations of blood group. Where we worry is if a partner's blood group, if a male partner or a male sperm donor's blood group is positive, and the woman carrying the baby's blood group is negative. So what that means is that the baby's blood group could potentially be a positive blood group. And there's this phenomenon known as rhesus isoimmunization where if a mother is exposed to the baby's blood group that's foreign to her body in pregnancy, the mother can then develop an, an immune response to inappropriately attack the baby's blood and that can mm. affect that pregnancy but more commonly affects pregnancies down the line if another baby has a positive blood group. Now, if your partner has a negative blood group and you have a negative blood group, that's not a problem. If you have a positive blood group, it's not a problem. But if you have a negative blood group and your partner has a positive blood group, then that's another reason to get checked out because there's a special medicine we give called anti-D, which mm. has to be given within 72 hours, so quite quickly after any kind of bleeding, and that makes sure that that phenomenon of isoimmunization to the rhesus factor is less likely to be an issue. Incredible. I, I think we should talk about anything sexual that's unsafe because we've got to remember not all sex is kind of 
you know, Fifty Shades of Vanilla. We're talking about some people that are really into having some BDSM and, and, you know, are really into kinky kind of stuff. So if you are hoping to enact out a little bit of Fifty Shades of Pregnancy, it's okay to go ahead with that if you and your partner are really experienced with things like floggers or rope um, or spanking but we really want to avoid anything to do with the belly or the abdomen and any kind of ties that will constrict blood flow um, so if you are new to that kind of scene I'd probably wait until after pregnancy and also talk maybe with someone like myself um, a sex therapist about how to create the right kind of positions boundaries about what kind of touch is acceptable as well we really don't want to have any kind of choking we don't want um anyone blowing air up the vagina as well because um, even though that's kind of rare it can cause embolisms and can cause some a little bit of damage so doing things like uh, anal sex is completely fine you know doing some light spanking doing some light kind of um, bondage sessions are fine but we really don't want to do anything that will harm the mother or the baby during that time or cut off airflow so Chantal, if you have a patient um, and a couple who are heavily into BDSM before pregnancy, but they're then planning a pregnancy, would you suggest that they probably should come and see you to just have some kind of discussion about new boundaries and, and support if what they enjoy is no longer really recommended? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to remember that the body changes and, you know, women have to really get used to like a, a new type of body and sexuality is super important as well. You know, I think we have these old ideas that pregnancy and sexuality really don't go hand in hand, but that's prim and proper. And in the past, we want to encourage pleasure. We want to in, encourage eroticism. And if you are really into things that are kinky and BDSM, then we can work around that. We just have to find out things that we can do and that we can't do. Um, and, you know, just safe and smart ways of, of doing those kind of sexual activities and tapping into that eroticism. And you never know, I might give you some tips that will actually expand your sex life and make it more enjoyable and make it very different and beyond the realms of what you have already been doing. Beautiful. Why don't we talk about what if women don't feel sexy during yeah. pregnancy? Often you feel sick and revolting the whole time, according to my friends. Well, some people feel sick the whole time. Most people feel a little bit of nausea in the first trimester. Not everybody. Some people are really lucky. Yeah, and I have some patients who are really worried if they don't feel nauseous because to some degree the nausea, although it's it's horrible, it's kind of a reminder that the pregnancy is there and a woman takes it as a subconscious reminder that it's all okay, whereas when she feels nothing in terms of nausea, she's worrying, is it okay? This is the time in pregnancy where we can't feel the baby moving yet. So, and you know, the, the physical changes, especially in the very early days are minimal in terms of your tummy growing. So in, in terms of knowing that everything's okay, nausea for some women is a welcome reminder, but yeah, Mm. I can, I can imagine that many women would probably feel sometimes not so sexy if they feel like they need to vomit. And also they're probably not feeling themselves, like they might not like their new body. I don't know. I think I I deal with a subset of women in my practice who've been trying very hard to have a baby and they're very pleased to be pregnant and they're generally embracing it. But I can definitely understand that some people would find it very confronting when their body changes, especially, for example, a subgroup of women who have, say, for example, a history of an eating disorder 
where control over their body has been a central tenet of what they've been focused on achieving. And then suddenly this body change is completely out of their control. Yeah, I think that we find that pregnancy is a time of real psychological and sexual exploration for the pregnant person and their partner. Um, and whilst those feelings of fatigue and morning sickness will pass for some people, yes, the changing body might be something that will make them disconnect a little bit, especially from a psychological point of view. And it's just kind of like a matter of different tastes, like temporary food cravings. We have to see what turns you on in this new setting because things that might have turned you on in the past might not anymore, and we need to experiment and see what works. That's what I'm here for. That's what I can definitely help you with. There are a few things that you can do to really calm the anxieties around your changing body. And I really recommend that um, looking at images of, of naked pregnant people are a really good way to go, you know what, this is normal. Or they might look at them and go, wow, that person looks beautiful. And then kind of go, hang on, I look like that person now as well. I think that positive self-talk, um, really affirming statements about self are important. So I'm growing a human being. I am beautiful. And also noticing how you treat your body, how you caress your belly, um, you know, how you feel sensitive in different areas, caress your skin, enjoy the different, the heightened sensations that come with pregnancy as well. I think if you're changing your lingerie as you grow as well, if you can't wear the kinds of underwear that you used to be able to wear, try and shop for something that will still make you feel attractive and still make you feel pretty um, and that will display your growing, you know, your growing boobs and your growing butt or whatever is kind of flowing out a little bit and getting wider and more full. It's such a beautiful part of pregnancy. And I think for some women, yes, especially if they've had an eating disorder, that can be really confronting or it can be something that really changes the way that they look at themselves in a positive way as well. But, but yes, there's a lot of great maternity lingerie out there. There's a lot of great robes out there that can help you. I think that it's really about sticking with clothes that make you feel sensual as well. So getting uh, silk kind of gowns instead of the really fluffy ones that feel like winter and grandma um i always encourage people to take off their fluffy gowns if they want to get erotic (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a very Um, easy change and it's psychologically quite a big one actually if you think about it Hmm. absolutely but things like you know beautiful baths candles you know sensual kind of love making slow touch outer course even just going into sensual kind of massages with your partner and getting them to really adore your body is a good way to go and you rubbing lotions on your skin you know even stuff like bio oil um for stretch marks etc can be really something that that is sensual sexual and erotic experiences don't have to relate just to an experience with someone else what about once you've had the baby yeah, after birth, uh, when mm. when the baby's born, it's kind of a very full-on time. No matter how the baby's born, you know, you've got this new little human that you're looking after and needing to feed every two hours initially and there's a lot of fatigue and there's a lot of sleeplessness and um, not always equal sharing of responsibilities uh, between partners. Uh, and there's also... For women who've given birth vaginally, often, especially the first time, some degree of genital trauma. And mm. it is it is normal for that to happen. But I think there's a few different reasons why it's probably happening 
in a way that's more actually intensified than it has been in the past. I think it's because we're having babies a little bit older Mm. and we're not as stretchy. Our tissues are not as stretchy and flexible as they were when we were younger. And when Mm. you're having your first baby when you're a teenager, which is kind of what nature originally intended you are stretchy you know you are mobile your metabolism is faster your baby is smaller and what Mm. happens when you have a baby later in life is all your tissues are less stretchy and your baby is bigger because your metabolism is slower and we have excellent nutrition but what that can translate to is a higher degree sometimes of genital trauma and even when a woman has a first degree or a second degree tear it, it does feel different and you know takes healing and certainly if she's had to have an assisted delivery with something like a vacuum or forceps and she's had something like an episiotomy which is where the outer opening of the uh, the vulva and vagina has been physically cut to allow the baby's Mm. passage through with a wider um, amount of space uh, that can be very sore and, and healing can be different and I guess the other thing that I'd like to explore is just the perception of the woman by their partner from having been in the birth suite and witnessed either giving birth vaginally or through cesarean and how that changes the way the partner feels about their female partner, you know, whether that psychologically can change how they perceive their partner from being a sexual creature to a mother. Oh, there's a lot to cover there, really, isn't there? Um, I think sex and parenthood is a really interesting part of life and of stage and of growth, and it really talks a lot to me around communication, empathy, and working as a team. You know, I'm a very big believer in the statement that it's you and me against whatever challenges that come across. But I think that with this strange phase of becoming new parents, you know, neither parent wants to bother the other parent. We want to make sure that everything's easy and breezy. We have to also look at work demand. We have to look at income. We have to look at, you know, also, I guess, how that person feels about being a parent because it's not just the mum that changes, it's the, it's the other parent as well. And I think that sometimes we can look at sex and parenthood as three threatening too, um, which is a bit of an irony because sex makes babies and babies can spell a bit of an erotic disaster for a lot of couples, which is, you know, I, I see a lot of people who can trace the demise of their erotic life with the arrival of their first child's. And whilst the happiness of the parents rises, the disconnect in the couple can also begin. So that's something that I really try and focus on a lot in my work. And that's really a huge amount of counseling and relational counseling that I I do around the sexuality as well. Some people will know how to recreate that connection. And for others, they will kind of see that gradual estrangement and the growing distance. It can be very sad and very um, unfortunate and, you know, really shows, I guess, how that couple is working together. Um, But it it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And I don't want people to get stressed out and to put it aside. I think it's really important to address that early and maybe even have that conversation during pregnancy, saying, you know what, after this baby is born, we're going to be stressed. We're going to be busy. We're going to be tired. Um, And we really need to work together. Because there are a lot of people who are still stressed, busy, and tired, and they can 
have great sex lives or they can have affairs um, and put a lot of attention into those kind of relationships. But I think a lot of people can also use that as an excuse in those first early months. Whereas all we need to do is really look at changing up the time, you know, the type of sex that you're having, you know, not looking at it as a three course menu every time you have sex, but looking at it as, you know, we're going to have little bits of eroticism here and there. And maybe that might mean just making out, um, you know, having a, a session where you're just passing each other and you can feel those kind of endorphins throwing through your body. Maybe it means um, oral sex on one of the people and then the other person can be a few days later. Um, maybe it can just mean sending some beautiful photos or allowing your partner to touch you because I think a lot of people can get a little bit overwhelmed with touch after having a baby, especially if there's breastfeeding involved and if breasts become a really non-erotic place because they're chafing, they're sore, you know, they've got a lot of milk in them and then there might be mastitis as well. Um, it's really about setting the boundaries of what you can like and getting in touch with your body again. And I also think that when we become parents, our children become the adventure. Our children become the novelty. You know, they are the surprise. And we tend to forget that our partner used to be that person for us. And the things that we used to do and organize for each other um, were the things that made us happy and connected. Whereas now the relationship is kind of the stable ground and the children are the unpredictable bit remembering that we need to be able to have some unpredictability, some mystery, some distance between us as couples to be able to cultivate desire. So we still need to be doing those things like surprising each other and going for date nights. We still need to have nights where we're not watching TV. Um, we still need to have nights where we go to bed together at the same time and maybe just lie in bed until the other person falls asleep and then you can get out of bed and do your own thing depending on who needs to get that sleep essentially. And it's about sharing the, the load as well and helping each other out a lot. Now, talking about vaginal births and your partner witnessing that, I mean, Rayleigh, you'd probably hear a lot of, about that from the partners as well. Um, do you want to share what your thoughts are? Yeah, so, yeah, the quote that I that I spoke to off air about was, and I think it's a well-known quote is, you know, quote, unquote, watching your favorite pub burn down is what you say when your mm. wife gives birth or your partner gives birth. I, I always cringe when I hear that, but I've heard it so many times from different people. So I think there really has to be a greater understanding and a greater empathy and a greater education particularly of male partners because I think probably same-sex female partners don't necessarily have this same issue necessarily, although I wouldn't say it's impossible that it could happen to a same-sex female couple as well. But just I think what it comes down to is viewing your partner differently, viewing the sexuality of your partner differently, mm. what your partner's sexuality means to you mm. and how that affects what your expectations of your sex life with your partner uh, are going to be like. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on, on those issues? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if we talk about eroticism, we have to think of the five senses with visual being one of them. And, you know, seeing something that you really cherish as part of your erotic life and part of, you know, you and your, your coupleism um, as being something that was, you know, holy, like the, the, the vulva, the vagina, the clitoris, and then seeing it used for a different function it can be quite confronting for people. 
But we have to remember that this is what you that you're having sex for. It's to be able to create that baby. It's for it to be able to come out of the body in a beautiful way. And that will sometimes take time to heal. The vagina and the vulva might be a little bit disturbed, but it's not the end of the world because it doesn't have to have anything to do with sexuality. We need to redirect that energy sometimes, redirect the eros, the eroticism, to other parts of the body and mainly to the brain. I think we need to really start focusing on talking in an erotic way, telling stories, reliving really erotic memories, keeping that spontaneity alive, having fun adventures with our sexuality as well, and not give all of that erotic energy, that eros to our children, because that's what we tend to do. We give all that lively energy to the kids. We you know, use all of it to be able to make sure that they're alive and well and that we can give them what they need and we feel zapped at the end of the day whereas um we need to be able to make sure that parents are creating a territory for their erotic lives and of course making sure that both of them are feeling good in that scenario if one of you is not feeling great it's going to become a, a bit of a couple's problem and that's when therapy is a great way to go but at the end of the day the body goes through a major transformation and I think that we have to acknowledge that that's going to happen and we have to put in quite a bit of energy to come back to an erotic self. And it can be quite a new erotic self in some ways, at least from the physical and the visual perspective, because some of those body changes are temporary and others are more of a permanent nature. And even those temporary changes can take a while to change back. So Mm. I know I I, I know we we do see in the media, you know, women giving birth and then, you know, kind of jumping back in the next photo looking really skinny and, you know, but that's not everybody. Most people have some degree of, of changes in their body that is more persistent even immediately after the baby comes out. Mm. And um, and you your self-perception and your the way you think of your body might be very different because I think from a woman's perspective, it, your body's not just yours anymore when you have a baby. Your body to some degree belongs to your baby, especially mm. like you said, if you're feeding, you're actually nourishing this child and keeping them alive and they're feeling this, this closeness, that feeling of, uh, you know, of cuddles and love and protection you know, you're, you're just emanating that for your baby and your baby really needs that. So mm. you are giving a lot to your baby. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the energy does need to come back to the couple at some point because your kids will grow old and they will leave. And if we don't focus on the attention of the couple, then we're leaving us uh, set up for vulnerability and for fragility as um, parents And I think the first thing that we want to know is that each person in that couple is feeling really good, that they're healing well. And whilst their sexuality might be changing, some things that used to be pleasurable may not be. It might be a little bit different, but other places will be. And both parents go through major transformations, I guess, fitting into their new roles as, you know, mom and mom or mom and dad or dad and dad essentially. And I think that we have to discover new ways of being erotic, a new me, a new we as a couple. And there will also usually be one person that will focus on keeping the energy of the couple alive 
and one person who focuses on the arrangement of the family and of the children. So one that will say, hey, I made plans, we should try this, and the other person that goes, okay, well, I will make sure that the children are taken care of during this time. And don't dismiss that. I think encourage that, embrace that, and be open-minded about it. I think another thing that is important just to touch on, we did an episode with Dr. Catherine Kasuma, who's a perinatal psychiatrist, uh, earlier in the series, but there is a significant burden among women of postnatal depression and perinatal depression, and that is recognised in many women, but I think there's an even broader category of women who have milder symptoms and it doesn't necessarily get called out or treated. And I think sometimes that can manifest as low libido and, you know, kind of loss of interest in sexuality as part of a broader emotional burden. And I think that's also something that that women themselves need to be aware of and partners need to be aware of if you're worried about your partner, that she's not really herself, that she's sad, that she's emotional at situations where she might not normally be stressed uh, and that she's not interested in sex, think of postnatal depression because it might be something that she's dealing with and she may not realise it. Mm, absolutely. Keep keep your um, keep your mind open if your partner is having very low mood or is, is feeling inadequate or is a you know a failure as a as a mother. And um, also look at the fathers. You know, fathers can get postnatal depression as well. Look at that sense of hopelessness, if there is any there, if there's any signs that that person is feeling really anxious or panicky um, or really uh, sad and kind of teary or having trouble sleeping, then we we really need to be aware of that and provide support. You know, I, I think it's super important that we take care of each other's mental health during that time. We talked a little bit about estrogen during pregnancy, making women more interested in sex and having easier orgasms and a higher drive. Actually, I guess another thing to point out is when you have just given birth, particularly if you're exclusively breastfeeding, Mm. your estrogen levels are really, really low Mm. and for a prolonged period of time. So hormonally, how that can reflect is some women actually have hot flashes uh, when they're breastfeeding, just like menopausal women have hot flushes and night sweats, and that could be just normal because of low estrogen if you're sensitive to that. Mm. But often you do get vaginal dryness and you get a little bit of vaginal tissue atrophy. And what that means is that the skin of the vagina, which is really supported by estrogen, can become more fragile and sex can be uncomfortable because of a lack of lubrication. So really important, even if you haven't ever used a lube before, to think about the place of using lubricants, introducing sex again after pregnancy. It really is very helpful in terms of achieving comfortable intercourse. And if you're really suffering from vaginal fragility and low estrogen, if you see your doctor and talk about it, we can prescribe a little bit of topical vaginal estrogen, which is very safe to use in breastfeeding and can make a world of difference. So Uh, Mm -hmm. If it's not something you talk about, it's not something anyone will help you with. So it's important to be aware and also to seek help uh, and help is there. Mm, Absolutely. And also if you are having sex that is painful after childbirth, then that's definitely something to talk to your obstetrician about because you might be at risk of um, 
uh, vaginismus, which is when the pelvic floor gets a little bit tight or quite tight after childbirth. And we just need to make sure that we are retraining it to be able to fit a penis again and to be able to relax, especially if it's going through a little bit of a stressful time. I think we can also talk a little bit about the bonding hormone that comes up. Um, it floods your system right after delivery so that you are able to, you know, turn on your mothering behavior. But one aspect of that is to be really able to see danger in your child's life, which can turn into anxiety as well. Um, hormones are just raging during this time after giving birth. And it becomes a little bit of a complex dance and that can affect your energy and your mood. So um, that's probably something that Rayleigh can talk about in regards to maybe some more progesterone, uh, but also looking at that postpartum anxiety as well. And just having a conversation with your partner and saying, hey, my hormones are giving me a run for my money here. And don't beat yourself up about it, but just say, you know, it's okay to feel a little bit all over the place and it's okay to have conversations about how you're feeling during that time as well. So I guess another thing on the topic of pelvic floor is that a lot of women, when we do give birth, have temporary injury to pelvic floor, but also just carrying a baby in itself, even without severe birth trauma, can cause injury to pelvic floor. We've done a couple of episodes in the past um, with uh, different physiotherapists talking about pelvic floor exercises, Mm. uh, which we can put the links in the show notes, but How do you think it affects a woman's sexuality if she's leaking urine or if Mm. she's got some pelvic incontinence of bowel? That could really, uh, really mess with a woman's sexual feelings about herself, couldn't it? Absolutely. Um, And first of all, if that has happened to you or is happening to you, then there's nothing to be ashamed about. That is just how the body has changed um, during and after the pregnancy. And that is able to be worked on by a pelvic floor physio. Um, And of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well in the the next episode with with, uh, Dora, our pelvic floor physio. But I think it's about having that conversation with your partner. If you do discover that there is some leakage of bowel or urine, then it's just saying, you know what, I better, you know, I better get some help with this. You know, it's not up to you to fix that by yourself, um, but you can switch to having outer course again if you like. So keeping your underwear on, maybe wearing um, menstrual underwear so it gets caught in there. You know, or having sex in the shower, um, that's also a great idea. So you kind of wash away any evidence of things that are leaking um, and just saying, you know what, we might have to just put a towel down on the bed or um, some sheets or something like that to catch anything. But sex is messy. That's the point. And your body is changing as well. So there's nothing to worry about there. It will be able to be fixed at some point. We should also talk about the breasts as well and how they change after giving birth um, because for a while the prolactin that is giving you breast milk does kick in and your breasts are really big and they become swollen and there's blood flow and milk and engorgement Um, and you might have to wear different types of bras as well. I think that maybe wearing, uh, having some pain relief or some heat packs or maybe cool packs on your breast can be a good idea sometimes, especially if there's um, discomfort there. Uh, but, you know, if you're not into your partner touching your breasts, because they might become a little bit obsessed if they're really big, just say, you know what, that's a no-go zone for now. I'd really prefer if you touch my bum instead or if you rub my legs. 
um, or if you, you know, gave me a massage on my shoulders or you're allowed to touch this area, but you have to touch with this type of touch and you have to be super gentle because I am a sensitive specimen right now. Absolutely. Setting new boundaries. And that involves just communication, doesn't it? And Mm. I think, you know, couples might not verbally be used to communicating about sex. No, and that's what my whole career is based off. So if you are worried about going through pregnancy and talking about sex afterwards, then let's start early. Let's start before you even, you know, either before you become pregnant or during pregnancy. So we can just talk about the way that your body is changing during that time. Um, And we will talk about it as a couple as well. So it doesn't have to come from you. You don't have to have those difficult conversations. That's my job to have those conversations and to be able to help you through this time. Sex can be the hardest thing to talk about with your partner. That's really, really normal. So we're going to do a episode with the lovely Dora. Chantelle, can you tell us a bit about Dora? Yeah, so Dora and I work together. She is an amazing uh, women's health physiotherapist. She also sees men as well. So we just talk about how the pelvic floor is part of sexuality and what conditions she can work with to treat. So anyone who has uh, sexual pain conditions, please Please listen into this episode. Anyone who has had difficulty with penetration or with pain on their vulva or labia, then this one is for you. And then she also sees my patients that go through erectile difficulties or through premature ejaculation. And we're really going to talk about how her and I work together as a team to be there as your support network for your sexual difficulties. It's so amazing that we have you. Like it's so (laughs) amazing. Can I just say... In a generation ago, it just wasn't a thing. Just couples were left to their own devices. They had no support. Nobody talked about sex. Nobody talked about sex after having babies around infertility. It's just so amazing that we have this support today. And I would encourage all my patients and all of our listeners, if you need help, it is here and you definitely should take it with arms open because a stitch in time saves nine. If you step in and put these relationship techniques into your life, it prevents a lot of problems in the long run. Absolutely. And to be honest, we're all human. I do couples therapy with my partner sometimes too. I do my own individual therapy sometimes because at the end of the day, we're not really experts on ourselves. Some people can really see us from a really clear perspective I would never try and figure out my own um, pregnancy by myself and do it all by myself. I would be talking to Raylia about it and she would be helping me through that process because she is the expert on growing a child in my belly and the way that my physiological condition is going to be around that. And also um, I would probably go see my own sex therapist if I was having difficulties with my own sexual relationship because it involves me and someone else and it's not my job to tell my partner what to do in the bedroom it's someone else's job to point that out and help us as a couple so I think for everyone we have to rely on the experts uh, to be able to to provide us individualized care for our own specific circumstances I think that's the greatest takeaway from this podcast that I've learned is that there is so much help available and it's there to be used better support each other well, thank you, Raylia and Chantel. That has just been fascinating. As I want to say, as always, because every time we speak, it's just so interesting. I look forward to our next episode. 
I know, so much fun. I'm so looking forward to talking to you again. Fantastic. Lovely to catch up. <laughs>